Hi, everyone. This is Curly Conspiracies. I'm Holly Lowerman, and I will be your host for this week's episode. Here with me is Brooke Sasser. Hi, everyone. Before we start this episode, Brooke and I have thought a lot about our podcast, and we have some news about our next steps with Curly Conspiracies. We have absolutely loved this podcast and sharing conspiracies with you over the past two years, and after much thought, we think that we are going to go on a break after the end of January. This is not the end of Curly Conspiracies. Right now, our plan is to still share conspiracies and mysteries with you on TikTok and our social media pages. Our lives are so crazy busy right now, and when we give you information and episodes, we want them to be well-researched, well-thought-out, and made with lots of love. And unfortunately, with everything else in our lives, it's getting harder to continue to hold to that standard. We love you guys, and again, this is not the end. It is the beginning of a new phase of Curly Conspiracies, and hopefully soon we can continue putting out new episodes on our podcast. Now to the conspiracy. A dark humanoid entity terrorized Provincetown, Massachusetts in the late 1930s. Children from all over town would run home crying after an encounter with the creature. Parents dismissed these bizarre stories, claiming it was a tall tale or some sort of prank, until they started seeing it themselves. Was there truly a mysterious monster lurking in the dunes and streets of Provincetown, or was it a prank? So let's put on our tinfoil hats and investigate this mystery in a flash. Halloween was just around the corner, and of course the children were ecstatic. They could not wait to make their costumes and go trick-or-treating. With all of this built-up excitement also came anxiousness, because kids around this time of year have a lot of energy, not to mention it was at that time that it was getting darker earlier. So at this time, too, they ended up telling each other spooky stories and legends to kind of get into the spooky season spirit. Oh, yeah, we know this all too well. And the closer it is to Halloween, the crazier the kids are. And then forget it if there's a full moon around then, too, because I'm telling you, full moons affect everybody, but especially children. Oh, 100%. I can attest to that. (laughs) So you can imagine what the parents and teachers were going through when the kids around town started telling them this fantastical story about what they quote unquote saw lurking in the night in October of 1939. Children would come home sometimes shaking and in tears, frightened of what they had just seen. They would come home to tell their parents that they had just witnessed a monster all in black hiding behind dunes and trees. It was large, about eight feet tall, dressed in a cape and hood with glowing eyes. Some said that this tall, dark figure would leap out in front of the kids to startle them, growl, and then take off in a flash while laughing maniacally. 
Now, of course, the parents did not take this seriously. Kids have wild imaginations. It was getting darker out and it was close to Halloween. They just assumed the kids probably heard too many scary stories or maybe saw a strange looking shadow. So the parents would just calm them down, say it was nothing, and tuck them into bed. It was just a figment of their imagination and people brushed off the idea until an adult had an encounter with the entity. Marie Costa was walking home one night when she heard a strange rustling in the bushes. She looked over, but she didn't see anything, so she just kept walking. As she was walking past Town Hall, though, a figure, all dressed in black, jumped out from the bushes. It turned toward her and glared at her. Panicked, she ran as fast as she could, and the creature started to run after her. She quickly darted into a nearby coffee shop, shouting that something was chasing her. As soon as two men in the shop went out to look for whatever it was that was chasing her, it was gone. When police arrived, they didn't take the report seriously either. As Marie Costa was describing the events that had just taken place, they laughed at her, thinking this whole situation was ridiculous. Marie was terrified and devastated that the authorities did not believe her. She knew in her gut that she had seen an eight-foot-tall, devilish man just like the kids had previously encountered, except she was able to add on to that original description. She remembered seeing the long silver ears and glowing blue eyes. And when it jumped out of the bushes, it jumped abnormally high, like a gazelle, which didn't seem natural or possible for a human to do. So did anyone else witness this creature? Marie was walking past Town Hall, so, I mean, she was probably in a downtown area. I would think that there could be other people there. Usually there would be, but this town was pretty small and it was actually a tourist destination as well. And that was like a big part of their revenue because people from all over would go to Provincetown in the summer to go on vacation because it is right on the water at the northern tip of Cape Cod. But at this point, it was nearing the end of October and it was getting cooler, so there weren't really any people on vacation there anymore. It was just the handful of people that lived there year-round. So Marie was the only one that saw the entity, or at least for that night. Okay, that makes sense. And even though police doubted Marie's experience, they soon realized that this was not a one-time occurrence. According to Province Towns Magazine's article about it, within the next week, more and more reports flooded in, stating that they had seen this tall, dark, hooded fiend lurking in the dunes and jumping in front of residents seemingly out of nowhere. The police finally started to take it seriously and went out to investigate the sightings. At times, there would be two sightings back-to-back on the opposite sides of town, and no human could possibly move that quickly. One teenager that was on his way home from the library saw it spew blue flames from its mouth. Supposedly, a group of police officers finally cornered the beast in a playground and tried to get the fiend to surrender only for the bullets to have no effect on it. And it was able to escape by jumping a 10-foot tall fence. After this commercial break, we will uncover more about the strange creature 
terrorizing this small town in Massachusetts. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Now back to the show. During this time, Provincetown was not as accepting of different lifestyles as it is today. Some people in the community tried to blame it on someone who was gay and who enjoyed scaring people. In the book Passing Strange, Joseph Citro told the story that a man believed this idea and was skeptical of the whole situation, especially it being an entity other than a human, until he found himself face to face with the black flash of Provincetown for himself. He saw what everyone was talking about, the glowing eyes, the cloak, and the hood. And at first he was still unsure of it being real and told it to get out of his way. The creature lunged at the man and hit him so hard that he fell to the ground. And the man bolted home with the entity lingering not too far behind. Once he reached his house and shut his door, the black flash fled and did no further harm. But that day, the man was a believer, and he had a red handprint on his face to prove it. After that encounter, he knew the Black Flash was no human. It was a monster. According to GothicHorrorStories.com's article about the Black Flash, the last sighting of the Black Flash was by a group of kids that stated they saw it coming towards them through a dense fog. Once the kids spotted it, they ran to one of the kids' house that was the closest as quickly as they could, closed and locked the door. They waited for the Black Flash to realize that the chase was over and done with and find a new victim, but it didn't. Instead, it started banging and clawing through the door trying to get to them. One of the kids, quick on his feet, put a kettle on, boiled the water, ran with it upstairs and poured the hot water on the creature, and it finally darted off. This creature was referred to by many names, such as the Devil of the Dunes and the Provincetown Phantom, but the one that stuck the most was the Black Flash of Provincetown due to its exiting the scene at a lightning pace. Whispers of the name on the streets grew to headlines in newspapers, and soon everyone across the Massachusetts area heard of the Black Flash of Provincetown, but the mystery was still not solved. Children and other citizens in Provincetown were terrified. Numerous sightings had been reported all over in the area, yet there did not seem to be a solution. And it wasn't long before it really was Halloween, but parents were concerned that their children wouldn't be safe trick-or-treating in the dark with something unbeknownst to them running around, scaring everyone, and in some cases, to the point of hurting them. The city decided to throw a costume party at Town Hall. And get this, Brooke, a toddler dressed up as the Black Flash and won the costume contest that year. Oh, stop. I mean, that's so cute, but also kind of inconsiderate for the timing, maybe, or a little strange considering, 
I mean, they weren't even trick-or-treating or concerned that they would get hurt trick-or-treating <laughs> that year. I don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, I kind of thought that too. And to this day, though, Provincetown still does really big Halloween costume parties downtown, and they live it up big for the holiday. And as for back in the late 1930s, though, once Halloween was over, the sightings stopped. Just as out of the blue as the creature appeared, it seemed to disappear. The black flash was never seen again. So it was only seen for a few weeks. Have there been any sightings more recently? So this is where it gets a little muddy because some books and articles will say that it actually lasted on and off for about like six or seven years. The problem is none of these reports in those six or seven years were ever like officially documented. It was all hearsay and rumors. So there wasn't really evidence such as police reports or sketches or really anything else to prove that the Black Flash had come back after those few weeks. So, I mean, it could be possible that people just did not come forward after encountering the Black Flash within those years, but there's also nothing written about those specifically. Okay, got it. So, did the police ever find anything tangible or any evidence? Not really. There were just people calling in or coming into the police department, telling their story, except for the one time that the police did actually see the black flash for themselves and cornered it in the park. But again, there wasn't really any like physical evidence, just eyewitness accounts. And even with that story, with members of the police seeing it for themselves, there were others in the police department that were skeptical of the situation, especially Chief of Police Anthony Travers. He even told the newspaper that, quote, the black flash is dead and buried, end quote. He said that figuratively, of course, and he believed that it was all a prank conducted by a group of four boys. According to his idea, one boy would sit on another boy's shoulder and then throw on a black covering and a cape along with a flower sifter to cover their face. And that was why some people saw silver ears because people were seeing the handles of the sifters. Okay, that theory does check a lot of boxes, especially for the appearance of the Black Flash, but it doesn't really explain the powers that he had with taking off at lightning speeds or being bulletproof or the ability to jump amazing heights, though. I mean, Two boys stacked on top of each other. I don't think they're moving that fast. Right? Uh, yeah, that is very true, especially since some people in the police department actually had an encounter and saw the black flashes like jump and even shot at the black flash and didn't seem to phase it. I also forgot about the blue flames. I mean, how is that even possible for two boys just on top of each other's shoulders? or for two boys to punch a man so hard that he was knocked to the ground. So this theory doesn't really explain everything. And you're not the only one to think that either, Brooke. So some believe that Travers just said that the Black Flash is dead and buried in the newspaper to kind of like not ensue any further panic in Provincetown and the surrounding areas and kind of try to make it seem like the police department had the situation handled and everything was safe, even though they didn't have it handled. 
Over the decades, many people have suggested what the Black Flash could have been or could still be. Many have made connections between the Black Flash and another similar and infamous story overseas. We will go into more information about that after the break. Before the Black Flash existed, there were other similar incidents happening in Britain, especially London, in the mid to late 1800s by an entity known as Spring-Heeled Jack. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it, but you're right. These entities and stories do have a lot in common. I mean, both the Black Flash and the Spring-Heeled Jack could leap over rooftops and sprint at almost impossible speeds. Exactly. And not only did they have the same abilities, the Spring-Heeled Jack also bears a strong resemblance to the Black Flash of Provincetown. I mean, for instance, they both had a silver face, black cloak, and glowing eyes. The only difference was that Spring-Heeled Jack was known to have red eyes instead of blue. A researcher of anomalous phenomena, Theo Pagemans, noticed the similarities between the two, and he found it hard to believe that the story of the Spring-Heeled Jack could have made its way over to Provincetown for someone to imitate. So some wonder, could it be possible that the Spring-Heeled Jack and the Black Flash of Provincetown could both be real creatures due to there being two separate incidents rather than just one-time thing? Or could they be two independent creatures, but of the same race? So are people thinking that this is like an alien race? Or maybe just a cryptid that's somehow in two different areas? Or maybe the same cryptid, like multiple Bigfoots or something along those lines? So... That's a good question. It, it seems to be a mix. Some wonder if it's an alien due to it being able to travel at high speeds and be bulletproof. But then again, others have argued it could be more of an apparition, like a spirit or even a demon haunting and terrorizing people, especially because it does seem to have a similar appearance to a human and it had supernatural abilities. Some say that it was a part of a curse and revenge from the era of witch hunting in Massachusetts. I have also seen others say a cryptid similar to a shadow person for all the previous reasons as well. So there are a lot of mixed thoughts on what exactly the Black Flash of Provincetown could be if it wasn't a prank. Okay, that makes sense. So how long were the sightings of Spring Hill Jack? So people had witnessed Spring-Heel Jack for at least 40 years, and there are even some sightings that are outliers within a 60-year range. And when did they stop? It was about 1872. So these sightings stopped, and then the ones in the U.S. started with about a 60-year gap in the middle. Right, but I will say that some of the outlier sightings were within the 60-year range, and even some as recent as like 1970 and 1986 in London. Then the sightings of the Black Flash of Provincetown were in 1939, but again, we talked about earlier how some said it could be even within a seven-year span through the 1940s. Now, to look at the other side of this theory, this same researcher did think that the details of the Black Flash might have been embellished over time or that the details could have gotten mixed up with the Spring-Heeled Jack case. So that's also a possibility. Another theory suggests that the Black Flash of Provincetown 
was just a case of mass hysteria because some think that the spring Jack case was caused by mass hysteria. This is due to the fact that the details of the Black Flash were written in the newspapers and rumors had spread about it all over the city. Despite this, though, most of the time in cases of mass hysteria, the sightings or incidents spread to other cities, whereas the Black Flash really never did. It seemed to just stay local. The Black Flash of Provincetown has been a puzzling mystery for decades, and the story has even made its way to popular cultures such as in American Horror Story and is even a character in the DC comic books. But what was really terrorizing the city of Provincetown in Massachusetts? Was the Black Flash mass hysteria, a prank, or a real creature of the unknown, such as an alien, a cryptid, a ghost, or even a curse? So I have to know, Brooke, what are your thoughts? So at first, I totally thought this was just a prank, until you brought in the connection with the Spring Hill Jack. I totally forgot that those entities share so much in common, and I feel like if there is a connection there, then this really could be some undiscovered cryptid species or who knows, maybe even an alien. It almost in a way made me think of like a skinwalker or a wendigo where we have very little sightings of it and they're all over the place, but they're still encounters in a way. So I'm not 100% sold on this and if it's true or just a prank, but I don't know. I think it's possible. What do you think, Holly? I'm kind of in the middle of two for this mystery because I do think that there is a possibility that it could have all just been a prank. The police at one point didn't say they wanted to embarrass the group of boys and they think that they found out who they are. And the appearance of the Black Flash does seem like it could have been pulled off with a black hood, a cape, and then all of the other details were just embellished over time or got mixed up with the Black Flash and with spooky season rolling about at that time and it getting darker earlier i could definitely see how people would have thought a prank could have been a lot more than just that then again it would be crazy to think police officers and other adults wouldn't catch on that boys were just coming together to pull a prank i do not believe it was mass hysteria because i do feel like there were a lot of witnesses and it was only just in a couple of newspapers, so it just really didn't get as much news coverage as these types of sightings usually do. As for the Black Flash being a creature, I do think it is interesting how similar the Spring Hill Jack and the Black Flash of Provincetown are with their abilities and their appearances. But considering how similar they are with how far the sightings were in dates and in location, that seems so crazy to think about. I mean, and I agree with you, Brooke, what you kind of said, too, about it being some sort of skinwalker or shadow person or something that may like not as appear as often. I do think for the most part, it was probably a prank. But I don't want to fully rule out it being some sort of cryptid or curse necessarily, because I do think there's a maybe a small chance of it being that. But what do you all think? Whether it was a prank, mass hysteria, or an actual entity, possibly related to the Spring Hill Jack, it left its mark on Provincetown, and residents can only hope that the Black Flash doesn't come back. 
Thank you guys for tuning in today and diving into this mystery with us. Go check out our website if you want to see our sources, pictures, and other information from this episode at curlyconspiracies.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok and search for the handle Curly Conspiracies. This podcast is brought to you by Magua Rin Productions. Brooke Sasser is a scriptwriter, host, and researcher. Holly Lowerman is a scriptwriter, host, and researcher. Chris Sasser Photography and Graphic Design, Roundtable Audio Productions, and the theme music is composed by Victor Wayne Music Production in Invado Market.